Hello and welcome everyone to the Future is Crypto, our very first webinar. I'm joining you with Jed Grant, Stefan Kinsella, and Eleanor Blanc. Uh, welcome, you guys. Glad to have you here on the show. Pleasure to be here. Hello. Thank you. Hey, Max. Hey, so uh, where are you guys joining us from tonight? In Luxembourg. Luxembourg. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and Eleanor? I'm based in Amsterdam, so Amsterdam. we're not that far from each other, Jed. No, not at all. And, uh, and Stefan, I see I'm you in have... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm in Houston, <laughs> Texas, and uh, luckily we have power again, so I can participate. Oh, great. Okay, very cool. All right, and I'm in Istanbul right now. So uh, this is great. This is wonderful. We're all spread out over the world. Um, Luxembourg. You're the first guy I know who actually lives in Luxembourg. You know? <laughs> I don't know anyone else who actually lives there. Um, what's it like? Uh, it rains most of the time, uh, but it's a, it's a nice little country. It's a very quiet, beautiful countryside, high standard of living, a massive financial sector, and they're very uh, blockchain crazy, although the government does get a little... Um, nervous around crypto but uh, <laughs> yeah it's a good place they, they like innovation and it's accessible i mean i can access the ministries here pretty easily so you're obviously american what are you doing over there in luxembourg i came here a long long time ago as a civilian lieutenant colonel with nato i ran an it section in the 90s i did a lot of cryptography i was a cypherpunk at night and a, a nato cryptographer during the day did that for about 10 years uh, left here for a while, and then a friend of mine who was the head of ops at the Luxembourg Secret Service uh, decided to go private as well and came back to set up a, a due diligence company with him in 2008 and then spun off and did a tech, pure tech play in 2014 that I'm currently running. Wow. Wow, that's, that's a pretty interesting story there. So you've been, you're pretty much like not leaving Luxembourg, right? You're kind of stuck there now, right? Pretty much. Yeah, I, I know how, how that is. You know, I came to Turkey like several years ago. And once you learn the language, I mean, at a certain point, you just say, if you don't go back, you just kind of stay forever, you know, <laughs> just kind of linger around. Yeah. So Eleanor, uh, where are you from originally? Switzerland. So I, I live between, uh, well, now I live fully in uh, Amsterdam, but originally most of my life has been in the, in Switzerland. Okay. So learned a lot as well and uh, from two different places, but I would say these are two crypto-friendly places well to be. I guess with Luxembourg, Netherlands, Switzerland, we have like a nice trio here um, in Europe where crypto is definitely booming and there's a lot of um, a lot of startups, a lot of people here are involved um, with cryptocurrencies and uh, yeah, I'm very lucky to be here. Okay. And how long have you been um, working in Amsterdam for? Uh, are of close to five years now and crypto since 2017. So I'm a late cypherpunk, <laughs> but <laughs> cypherpunk no less uh, since I discovered it in October 2017, never looked back. But you discovered um, it in 2017. What did you first discover in 2017? I went to a Bitcoin meetup. 
-hmm. and <laughs> went to a Bitcoin meetup and got sucked in. I uh, didn't know what was happening. Uh, I'm one of those people that came into the ecosystem through meeting really interesting people, getting inspired. Um, I will always be thankful for the first people that sat me down at that meetup and were trying to explain to me hashes and forks already at my first night, first meetup. Um, always will be thankful for those people because then I went home and studied basically, and then was very involved with the meetup scene here in Amsterdam, started organizing my own meetups here. And then the rest is a history, I guess, but I started working with BTC.com. I learned a lot about the wallet mining industry there. Um, and then I was, uh, I started my own company in 2019 to be able to consult freely, to be a true, um, I think once you start talking a lot about freedom, <laughs> you start wanting it for yourself as well. Um, and that's also has been a wonderful journey working with other wallets, other exchanges. And I would say that right now I'm really focused on education. So you mentioned again, October, 2017, because yeah. that was the time when, what was the price of Bitcoin when you got in? What price was it? I think it was around 6K or maybe even earlier. And I was 3K something then for, it really ramped up really fast. I, in those months, I couldn't follow and I don't, I, I could feel the electricity in the air right of that bull market. Um, and I guess a lot of people were attracted by that. You could really feel the greed was in the air. You talk to people and there was dollar signs in their eyes. I stayed for more than that. <laughs> Obviously, once you go through a three-year bear market, you, you realize that the most important is the fundamentals and the values in the space, not the price. Absolutely. It's really the test. I mean, you came right in at the end. I mean, a lot of people don't make it past January 2018. You know, they just kind of give up. Yeah. That's why I thought it was an interesting entry point. And Stefan, um, let's hear a little bit about you as well. Uh, I'm from Louisiana, uh, a neighboring state here to Texas. Uh, that's my law school in the background there. Um, I've been practicing for about 28 years now, patent law, mostly patent law. And I've lived in London and uh, um, Pennsylvania, and now I'm in Houston, Texas. And uh, I've been a libertarian for a long time into, into technology for a long time, obviously as an electrical engineer background and a patent attorney. I specialize in laser patents. That's my kind of bread and butter. And um, oh, you just, say yeah, that in passing, you just say that in passing. That sounds super cool. Can you please just explain what, what exactly is a laser patent, by the way? Oh, patents on laser technology. <laughs> so I, I specialize in laser technology. I, I, it took, I'm an electrical engineer, but lasers are heavily physics oriented. So I didn't learn that in college, but I, I, I learned it on the job. And it took a while to really – lasers is, is really high-level technology to understand how they work, enough to describe it to get a patent on it. So once I learned that, I specialized in it because there's not many people that know it. So it's some people would say it's boring to do the same thing over and over, but of course, every invention is different. But you know, once you learn a little narrow, tiny, tiny, narrow niche, plus it gives me the excuse to when my relatives come to me to do a will, I can say, I'm sorry, I only do laser patents. So it's a good excuse to turn away uh, people wanting free legal advice. But um, yeah, it's super cool. But now that they know that you do cryptocurrency, you're no longer going to be in that esoteric, you know, that, that small market. Now that uh, you're doing um, this kind of stuff. I think you have a lot of people asking you all kinds of questions, how to pay taxes, how to file, if they need to file an FBAR. I mean, I imagine that uh, those days yeah. are gone, the laser patent yeah, I, days. All my family and friends think I'm the big world's Bitcoin expert, but compared to all the people on uh, Clubhouse, uh, I'm an amateur, so uh, I know my place. Uh, 
But yeah, I actually was interested in it since the beginning, but I always I thought it could work. I just thought the government would shut it down if it got to be too popular. So I met a I made a bet in 2012 with VJ Boyapati. I said by the end of the year, you know, I thought it would crash. And we bet a hundred dollars. And so by the end of 2012, it was clear I had lost. And so he offered to take three bitcoins in at thirty dollars each at the in payment for a hundred dollar bet. And I think he did that to nudge me into figuring out how to buy a bitcoin. So I bought uh, five bitcoins and uh, I paid him with three of them, and I kept two. So uh, that's how I got into bitcoin by losing a bet. If you took it a little bit more seriously, that background could have been your house right now. You know, I know, <laughs> you I know, it's the right time. Uh, I know. Oh man. Okay, so you got in in 2012, um, and a lot. Yeah, of and people- I actually spoke. I spoke at oh. Jeff Tucker, my friend at the Mises Institute, um, had the one of the first cryptocurrency conferences in 2013 in Atlanta, and asked me to speak. And I was not a Bitcoin expert, but I spoke on legal tender law and how that might. Uh, play a role with the financial aspects of uh, Bitcoin. So I was at a cryptocurrency conference. It was called a cryptocurrency conference in Atlanta in, in late 2013, and that was fun. Uh, lots of the guys were there uh, that you hear their names now. So uh, you guys, Jeb, you're a libertarian. Stefan, you're a libertarian. Um, Jeb, uh, Jed, Jeb, my God. Okay, Jed, uh, could you please um, explain to me why uh, being a libertarian is a libertarian is consistent with uh, your views on patents right now. Um, before you do, uh, we spoke briefly before yesterday. So in fairness to the audience, why don't you explain to me what your views are uh, with respect to patents and blockchain? And then afterwards, Eleanor, I'd like to hear your opinion. And then after you, Stefan. Sure. Um... You know, we live in a, in a world of laws and, and systems that have been put together. And, and as a libertarian, I believe that um, a lot of laws are unjust laws. And, and as a libertarian, unjust laws deserve to be ignored or, or even broken whenever possible, um, provided that they're not immoral in doing so. And a lot of um, intellectual property is enforced in a manner that stymies innovation or creates false monopolies. And um, things that are in the open source and public domain tend to get much better use and much better value for society. So very specifically on the case of Bitcoin, um, we founded a a group called the Open Crypto Alliance just a couple months ago. And um, I've been writing about patent wars in, in blockchain for several years because I saw this coming. I watched the browser wars happen with you know, Microsoft and uh, Internet Explorer. And then I watched the, the phone wars happen with Samsung and Apple. We all remember that. And every time there's a big new technological shift, there's a patent war that ensues after that. And I was wondering, when is the blockchain patent war going to happen? Started wondering about it in around 2015. And now it's happening. So we set this this group up. And the idea is to protect technologies that should be in the public domain and keep them in the public domain by preventing people from obtaining patents. That's what the Open Crypto Alliance is set up to do. And I think that if we want the vision of, of Bitcoin to become what we know it can become, that is a very, very important thing to do. There, there are no, there's no company, there are no, organized people protecting Bitcoin from patent trolls, from patent pirates. 
And that what I mean by that is people who would patent aspects of Bitcoin so that they can enforce them at the endpoints. Yes, it's a decentralized network and nobody can shut it down. But if you build a nice little Bitcoin business and somebody comes along with a, a patent, some troll and says, hey, you've you got to pay me now 10% of your business for the rest of your life. That's basically slavery. And as a libertarian, I stand pretty firmly against it. Okay, so uh, I'm sure for a lot of people that's not the, the mainstream you know, view, um, but it is something that, would you say that if you were to sit down at the di dinner table with your friends or your close, your close family, how many people would agree with you if you were to make those statements? Uh, very few. My, my family thinks I'm a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so uh, there's that. I, I didn't think anyone would think that, but I think that a lot of, uh, the first word that will come to mind for a lot of people will be crazy, you know, because what you're saying, it, it, a lot of people just don't want to believe, um, you know, what the, the kinds of things you're saying. So, you know, almost like a fringe ideology. Um, but when you say it like that, for instance, unjust laws deserve to be ignored. Um, can you clarify what you mean by that? Sure. There, there are, on a very simple level, uh, there are laws for speeding that have been passed without, without any basis in safety, without any basis in environmental protection, or any other logic. They're simply passed so that you can put up a camera and make some cash for the municipality you're driving through. These, I feel, are unjust laws. Um, and therefore, I'll drive as fast as I damn well please on those pieces of road, provided I'm safe. You know, I haven't had a car accident in, in 30 years, knock on wood. So I think I'm a decent driver. Um, you know, and there are also politically these kind of speed things. So the Green Party in Germany, the German auto routes used to be famed for being able to drive as fast as you want, wherever you want. And now you have to really look for stretches of auto route that have no speed limit because the Greens have been enacted speed limits throughout Germany just to slow people down. In France, they've done it as well. And they argue that it's an environmental thing, but it's not really. It's really about these speed cameras and giving out tickets. Highway robbery. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that part. So now, Eleanor, uh, you've been smiling a lot during this. I'm sure you yeah. have something to say. I love it. It's just like, first of all, it's always nice to be with kindred spirits. Uh, I, it just makes me smile. As you said, there's, there's not many people out there that that would say these things so I don't know so much in the open um, I love driving through Germany <laughs> it feels like freedom indeed um, and what I would say in, in regards to my experience in the space and patents I, I'm not a lawyer I'm really a community person um, education and what I can see is that we're in an open source development space right uh, the Bitcoin white paper was released under the MIT license so far, from what I understand, it means that it's it means that anybody can use Bitcoin and anybody that would come at a certain point, whether it be on the on and off ramp moments and would try to take advantage of a maybe of a certain technology or to be able to block something or block innovation. Indeed, those actors need to be dealt with. Um, and another way, what I would say is that what I've seen is thanks to this open world, this permissionless technology and industry in general, um, is that you see more and more innovation. You don't need regulations. You don't need to block or 
or save people from themselves. Uh, the space learns on its own very fast. Um, and in regards to forks and in regards to how code works, um, I, I strongly believe that forking is freedom. There's a really powerful uh, governance mechanism there is that once you don't agree with the majority, uh, forking is, an, is a valid uh, way to go a different way and to change uh, the protocol or just choose a different scalability solution. So that's more of my perspective on this open source industry um, and that forking is the governance that we have right now. If we don't, if we don't agree, you just, you can fork off. <laughs> I was about to say forking is freedom. Can I, can I trademark that? You know, I mean, that's great. You know, I like that. I, I heard, uh, uh, you know uh, what, that's why you have to go to meetups. I heard it first from, uh, from Paul Pui, uh, CEO of Edge Wallet, uh, who's an open source wallet, multi-asset wallet that allows you to have your private keys. Um, and he said that, and it resonated with me so strongly um, because a lot of people would, you know, argue against forks and that forks are destructive. But um, there's beauty, there's beauty and divergence of opinion and of and, and technology. That's how we do it today. For instance, uh, Elon Musk, you know, they, or Tesla, you know, uh, Elon Musk, <laughs> uh, they, they released a lot of their patents. Uh, they think that this stifles, you know, creativity. A lot of that Does. was done in the name of environmental, you know, they wanted to, um, what was it, to fight climate change. Uh, but what I'd like to ask now, Stefan, is um, the same thing about intellectual property. Uh, we spoke about this yesterday, and I had a question, which is that if your company does not own its own intellectual property, um, what exactly is its intrinsic value? I mean, what exactly then is the company's worth, if not its own intellectual property? Right. Uh, well, before I get to that, let me say, Eleanor, uh... Uh, yeah, the forking thing, the analog politically, us radical libertarians are basically anarchists, you know, so we believe in secession or forking down to the individual level. So you could think of forking as analogous to secession. So, yeah, secede from secede if you don't like the uh, the rules of the local area. Um, as for companies, so I'm a patent attorney. I've been doing it uh, since 1993 about and uh, around the same time. I had been struggling with the issue of intellectual property as a libertarian uh, throughout college and law school, and I started thinking more about it as a young lawyer uh, because I was going to practice it. And I concluded right around the same time as I passed the patent bar that patent law and copyright law as well are completely illegitimate. Um, by the way, Eleanor, you could trademark that phrase even though you didn't come up with it. If no, no I have a better one. It. I have yeah, a better one. That? I say that buying a coin is a political statement. That's that's my that's usually my my okay. my sentence, my logo. But yeah, trademark it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I came to the conclusion that patent law is completely incompatible with individual rights, with capitalism, with free markets, with property rights, with competition with learning and emulation and the progress and advance of technology and innovation and the human species, to be honest. I believe that patent law has put a huge damper on innovation for the last 200 or so years uh, in its modern form. Um, uh, uh, interestingly, the proponents of patents are, argue the opposite. So they, they make a causation correlation argument. They say that um, so the West and the U.S. in particular have done amazingly well since about 17, 
1776, 1789, when the U.S. started, and when the first patent system, 1790, the first modern patent system, started. And so they, you know, they say that if not for the patent system, then the West wouldn't have been as, as prosperous, etc. Uh, but of course, that's that's just the causation equals correlation argument. That's that's saying that I, I mean, you could also argue that our 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 import policies and our continual wars and our uh, you know, our, our tariffs are also the cause of it. That's not the cause of our success. Um, now, as for the value of a company, if you don't have patents, um, of course, it's in your reputation, right? And you don't need patents to have a reputation and actually trademarked are what it's meant to protect reputation, but you don't need that either. Companies have a reputation and they have, they're known for certain products. As a simple example, um, it's often argued that pharmaceuticals is the best case for patents because that's a type of product that is easy to replicate once you just know the formula for the drug. And so uh, the first innovator who puts billions of dollars into developing and getting the drug approved would face competition um, and wouldn't be able to recoup their investment, so they wouldn't engage in that in the first place. That's the basic argument, which of course clearly makes it clear that it's an anti-competitive argument because you say that you're afraid of competition, so you want a law to protect you from competition. So patent law is clearly protectionist, um, and of course the billions of dollars of expenses you have wouldn't be there if the FDA didn't exist to impose those costs in the first place. So it's kind of ridiculous you want that. But anyway, the point is this. Right now, most people are familiar with you, know, you, you have a headache. You want to take a Tylenol or a, acetaminophen pill. You can go to the drugstore in the U.S. at least, and you could purchase Tylenol, or you can purchase the generic brand, which is just called acetaminophen, and it's usually ha less than half the price. And those products are displayed right next to each other on the shelf uh, with a, a vastly different price, and some people buy the more expensive one. Why do they do that? Because of the reputation of Tylenol, because they want the brand name. So companies can have a reputation that gives them an advantage even without government granted monopolies that's kind of a short initial answer okay so then i just have a question let's say that you've developed or that you would like to develop treatment for ms and you have a really crazy idea you sought government funding you went to a few universities you went to a few venture capitalists but everyone laughed you out of the room and then you came to me and i believed in your idea as crazy as it sounded i thought that your potential treatment could save millions of lives. So I took the risk and I take my own capital and I invest in your, in your project. And it turns out to be a success. Now we put a patent on it um, because I don't want to share the rewards when other people didn't want to share the risk. What would you say to that argument? Why should the well, universities that turned you down and everyone else now be entitled? You know, why do they get to take away from our profits when we were the ones who took the risk. Right. Okay. Well, to be precise, you didn't give an argument. You just said what you want, and then you asked a question. So you said, why do, why do we get to blah, 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 and I want. Okay, so competitors want to have no competition because it's easier to make a profit then, but that's not the free market. And the question of why should someone get some of my profits? Well, because you don't own profits that you haven't earned yet. Uh, a profit is just you know the the leftover gain you make after you make a sale and you subtract your costs. So the sale is money from a potential customer 
and you don't have a property – I mean the technical answer is you don't have a property right in a future stream of revenue because you don't have a right to the money that your customers have or that your potential future customers have. You only have a right to it once they decide to pay you, and if they decide to pay a competitor instead, they have a right to do that because they own that money. So all that means is that everyone on the free market faces competition, and when you try to make a profit, um, if you find a way to do it, then you're going to attract imitators. That's the way the free market works. You you think you see an opportunity to make an above average rate of return by satisfying consumer demands by engaging in some in some project right to sell some service or some good to a consumer and if you're successful the more you're successful the more profit you'll make and the more that will be visible and other people will notice and say okay this guy's doing something that he's making a profit off of because he's satisfying consumers let's get in on that game too so they start competing with you and they erode your profit margin and that's this is how this is how the consumers are made better off. Prices fall over time, and the original guy has to keep innovating to stay on top of his competitors who are nipping at his heels all the time. So this is just part of the market. The only difference is that for certain types of products, and especially products um, which have a highly which, – which are highly dependent upon their design, which can be easily copied – in the digital age, this is more the case, like with a book or with a movie or with music. Uh, or with some 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 machines, um, especially if it's a simple patent, like in 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 the iPhone case, the design patent on the shape of a smartphone with a touch surface with rounded corners, right? So if you have a patent on that, uh, it's very or if that's your unique feature of your product, which I don't think rounded corners was what made the iPhone sell, but still. Um, it's easy for someone else to make a phone which has rounded corners. Okay, so it's very easy for someone to compete with you if they could just add that design feature. So the fear is that in a normal market, in the pre-digital age, in the pre-internet age, competition is difficult. Like I have a factory that makes cars or buggy whips or candles or whatever, and someone can compete with me if I'm successful, but it takes a while for them to build another factory and to hire employees and figure out how to make the candles or the cars. The same way. So I have a I have a natural advantage if I'm first. I can charge so-called monopoly profits for a while and recoup my investment cost and sit easy for a while for 5, 10, 15 years until someone starts competing with me. So naturally I start getting competitors, but it takes a while. So I can I can make some nice easy juicy profits for a while, right, before a competition heats up. But in certain industries, it's competition is instant. Like if I sell a book, as soon as I sell the book, people can easily copy that book. So competition starts right away. So what what you have is you have these people that are they're okay with tolerating competition as if it's a bad thing they have to put up with, but they're okay with putting up with it in the in the analog world. But in the digital world, competition comes too fast and quick, and so they're afraid of competition because people that are entrepreneurs face competition. Too much and too too quickly, so they want to slow it down with patent and copyright law. So the my answer is it's up to the entrepreneur to figure out in his field of of endeavor how he can make a profit, given that he will face competition of different natures, given depending on the nature of his service or his product. I think that's interesting that you say that because let's take the ultimate anarchist, not the same kind of anarchist like you, not a libertarian anarchist, but let's take Noam Chomsky and let's take his book, Manufacturing Consent. What would happen if I were to take his book 
and upload it on the internet and spread the truth to everyone. What do you Being think Donsky would do to me? What, what kind of letter do you think I would get in the mail from, from this anarchist? You think I get a cease and desist? What, what do you think? I, 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 think, I think he would send you a letter and he would tell you to stop and he would say, no, I'm saying. Sorry, that was a gnome joke. Yeah, so, so, um, <laughs> so, so basically, you know, you have kind of a lot of anarchists who, you know, they believe in decimating the, the truth belongs to everyone, spread the word, but they put a barcode on the truth. You know, you have those kinds of uh, anarchists where there's a little barcode on the back of the book and you have to pay, um, you, you know, you're basically uh, paying to hear something that they're arguing should be a universal truth. And I think that you don't associate yourself with that ideology. But even Chomsky, uh, being the anarchist that he is, even he has a right to, to make money or to make a living out of what he's doing, right? So even anarchists don't necessarily argue against intellectual property or copyrights or, um, in, or what you're talking about, patents. So where exactly do you think that this comes from? Is it coming from your libertarian point of view, your anarchist point yep. of view? Because it's confusing uh, for me. I think it took, it took me a while to figure it out, and I think from my perspective is a little bit of a radical one. But I think that there was a fundamental mistake made uh, centuries ago started by John Locke basically with the labor theory of property. So his argument that we own resources in the world – because God gave the world to us in common, which is basically unowned, and he gave us ownership of our bodies, which he called ourselves. So then he made this logical leap. Therefore, you own your labor because that's what you do with your body, and therefore you own these unowned resources that you mix your labor with because you own your labor, and when you mix your labor with it, you make it – you stamp it with your ownership. I think he's correct in his argument except the uh, – like the outcome is correct. I think you can homestead things and own them for that reason, but it's not because you own your labor. It's simply because you're the first to mark a connection between you and that thing. But so the idea of ownership of your labor infects the Lockean Western idea of, of homesteading, and then that led, I believe, to the economic fallacy started by Adam Smith and then Ricardo and then picked up by Karl Marx, the labor theory of, of prop of, – the labor theory of value, which is that you own your labor, and when you mix your labor into producing a good, then the value of that good is based upon the labor that you put into it. And therefore, when the employer sells it for a profit, they're exploiting the worker because um, they're taking the surplus labor value from the worker. So this has led I to see, communism. I see Jed laughing, and I see Jed laughing in the background. I just wonder. <laughs> go, not, uh, go ahead, Jed. Jed is well, there something a, you want to add to what he's saying? Yeah, the system is convoluted, uh, complicated, and it's been going on for hundreds of years. So it's something that is far beyond the scope of a of an hour or two in the evening. Um, but you have to put it in context. So all of this competitive, yes, we want free markets. Yes, we want entrepreneurs, etc. But we have a system with patents, and we also have a system with government subsidies of gigantic corporations that can squash innovation. And they actually buy innovative companies just to shut them down because they want to protect their existing market. So you have all this kind of sickness happening in the world. And if I bring it back to Bitcoin, which is why we're all here tonight, um, it's, it's about having Bitcoin go forward in the future. And what we're seeing is patents being set up to be used as weapons against Bitcoin as a free and open community. So what I mean by this is people are patenting 
technology that is not necessarily new or novel or invented by them, but that hasn't been patented before, and the patent office has not seen before. Um, and these patents, if you look at them, there were a few hundred in, in 2016, 17, 18 was uh, over a thousand. Um, 2019, there were over 10,000 patents. And last year, there were over 13,000 patents filed on blockchain and crypto technologies. So it's a boom. It's like the price of Bitcoin, the number of patents. And these are going to be weaponized to control the profitable businesses in the industry. So no, they're not going to say you can't, you can't have Bitcoin at all, but you can't build your business around it. You got to build your business around BSV or some other shitcoin. And that is the future that we have to prevent by, by keeping these patents out of private hands and keeping them open and public. So this is really the practical approach to, to dealing with this uh, now. And the time is really now. So these 20,000 patents that were filed in the last two years are in the pipe. They're not granted. And so we need to stop them when they are published and they're in review. And to do that, we need to find prior art through crowdsourcing, because there's no big company behind Bitcoin to do this for us. You know, we don't, we're not Apple. We're, we have a market cap bigger than Apple, but we're not Apple. We don't have that organization. So we need to crowdsource that prior art. And then we need to send it to the patent inspectors when they're reviewing these patents in order to get the patents to not be granted in the first place. That process will cost like 10 to 30 grand per patent that we want to take down, prevent. If those patents get granted, they're going to be used to attack successful Bitcoin businesses. You know, people like, like Strike, Zap, they're going to get attacked by these patent trolls. And these guys are going to cost a minimum of a quarter mil just to fight the case. And if they win, they're going to extract permanent revenue streams out of these companies. So it's a, it's a very, very bad future that could come out of this if, if it's not prevented. And there are people working on that side to line that up, and we need to stop them. That's I think it would be good to explain to the audience, and then I'll, uh, afterwards I'll let Eleanor speak, that there are certain individuals who claim to be the creator of Bitcoin. Some who uh, shall remain nameless have filed numerous patents in the past few years and they would like to consolidate, they would like basically to control uh, the entire network. Um, Eleanor, what are your thoughts on this? And do you know um, which individual I'm speaking about? I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, he shall not be named. No, I think it's funny. I think- um, Who among us is brave enough nobody, to say his name? It is no, not. But, I just don't want to give him the publicity. No, but the space is open, right? Like if we advocate for free market, and libertarianism and freedom. This is an open market. And it means that you have all kinds of actors. You have good actors, bad actors, and everything in between. Um, this actor in particular um, has very outrageous claims and I haven't met him personally or anything like that. What I do know and what I have experienced is two forks. So I've experienced the BCH BSV fork and the BCH, BCHA fork. And from what I can see is that since in Bitcoin and in proof of work chains where governance is really up to the people holding the keys of the, of the code um, and the emerging consensus that arise from the discussion among developers and the ecosystem at large, 
And since we're not really operating at scale, these are still really small communities. Um, these are, they are, it's possible to, to coerce or to captivate an audience and to put forth your, your narrative. And for the BCH BSV fork, it was really surprising. Um, I, I remember organizing the BCH uh, hackathon here in Amsterdam. I had several people that are now considered BSVers um, say to me, even two weeks before the fork, it's not going to happen, Ellie, don't worry, nothing. But it was like weird rumors in the air. And I knew that there was something trafficking. I knew that people were out there discussing hash rates and discussing forks and what was thrown at people and as to chew on was, you know, canonical transaction ordering. And that was what, uh, that was one of the, the points of debate was CTOR and, and other things. And it, it was a surprise, I would say for the larger ecosystem. And it wasn't a surprise for a small number of people that were very much involved and knew what was happening. And that fork was extremely destructive. Um, we, I can say that a lot of very smart people uh, are believe in BSV and believe in its um, uh, essentially like a, its use case. It's like the QAnon of crypto, right? The BSV. No, no, I wouldn't say that. No, that's too simplistic. Um, yeah. It's it's really it's just another and different way of believing. Each cryptocurrency has a different value proposition. Each cryptocurrency has different beliefs. And each cryptocurrency will distinguish each other from each other by proposing something different. Um, BSV's mentality, and I would, and I am again, I'm not a BSV expert, but what I can say is that they don't want the protocol to change, or they even want to revert certain things in the protocol to to bring it back to an original version of what they consider what Bitcoin should be. Um, and they have bigger, they have big blocks. BCH, on another stance. Um, believes in scalability as well, has 32 megabyte, you know, blocks and is continuing to improve its blockchain. The blockchain is not set in stone in BCH and can change and can have future developments. Um, and then the BCH <laughs> fork, I would say that their proposition, which was a bit weird, but it was basically with the IFP, was introducing a tax on each block so that the, a part of the block reward would go to an organization basically. Um, and so it's, as you can see, it's only with a bit of distance that you can start appreciating the differences and, and the, what each coin basically is trying to defend. And then you have people within those forks uh, that disagree with each other, right? It's not one uniform, um, yeah, I, other forks could happen, but people do realize that the cost of it is the, the opportunity cost that we, uh, the opportunity loss, I should say, that we that we have the negative externality of a fork. It's really nice and fun when it's like a three years in the making and it's a highly debate. And I think the first fork that we should talk about here tonight is the BTC BCH fork, where that took years of discussion and public debates and people arguing over what should be the next step for BTC so that we're not in the situation like today where I can't use it and it's really expensive. Um, but there's different ways of, uh, of scaling and bigger blocks is one of them. And, uh, that fork just is one way of, uh, of changing things. And there's some people that can agree and some people that can disagree, but I, I teach and I, I like to end each of my, of my classes with a cryptocurrency 
wallet workshop. I like to put crypto in the hands of people. I want people to feel it. I want people to, to, it's, it's because you can talk about crypto all day long, <laughs> but if you don't actually use it, if you don't make, if you don't actually like make payments and move it around, then you don't feel the pain of what is a, a slow network or really high fees. And I can do that with BCH today. So with BCH, it's easy for me to send two euros worth of BCH to any here of the 64 participants. They can all drop their, their addresses here. And for me, that will be, let's say, I'll accept to airdrop it to for that cost. But if I have to spend two euros more for it to go through the system, then yeah. And this is, this is what forks are for. Forks were there to to have different opinions and so it's a, for the battle of ideas to to be to be to happen really it's freedom and it's an experiment and it's an ongoing social and economic experiment and we're seeing it at play today and users are the people really uh <laughs> suffering or at the mercy of this emerging consensus because then the wallets and the exchanges and everything around it needs to adapt and you know they have to list another coin or or delist one um you know as a wallet you have to help people to split their coins replay protection there's other things at play here but i would say that it's uh, a community cost because it splits people it breaks friendships it breaks people's hearts it's really it's painful um but then on another side, it's to allow for a different path for a different type of technology. And right. no, Eleanor. you know, that's that's what happens. Eleanor, I'm so glad you brought up that point because I don't know anything about the Open Crypto Alliance. And I'd like to ask, I believe that, uh, Jed, that you are at the forefront of the battle against uh, these, these patents, these patent wars against yeah. uh, Bitcoin. So I can tell you, I, well, I don't need to tell you, you know that nothing poses more of a threat to the future of forks than a patent on Bitcoin, somebody having uh, asserting their ownership over Bitcoin, there goes all your forks, right? So um, Jed, do you mind telling me a little bit about um, what exactly the Open Crypto Alliance does, how they function? Um, you, you went into a little bit of detail about it, but um, not enough for the audience or me to understand exactly what its purpose is. So we're nonprofit, and our aim is to keep the technology open and prevent patents from being awarded on crypto and blockchain technology. Um, it's particularly abusive patents. So we want to fight uh, abusive patents before they get granted. The way we do that is uh, twofold. So we will crowdsource and build a database of prior art. Uh, because we don't believe that patent uh, organizations, the patent inspectors, uh, properly examine prior art. I mean, they just don't have the time. They're not resourced to do that. You know, you need to, to dig through um, GitHub. You need to look at all the code that's been open sourced in the past. Uh, you need to know what's, what's beyond academic journals, which are typically the purview of where these guys will look. So we want to crowdsource that database. And we want to then at the same time crowdsource all the patents that are out there and the the analysis of them. So translate these pending patents into plain engineer English so that engineers can find prior art. You know, I know someone who's already done that. Uh, I know a project that did that already. We cite that project, the patent gets derailed and doesn't get awarded. The technology stays open and nobody can come around and shake down anybody else about it. Uh, this is very important because of innovation, as we said earlier. If you look at Bitcoin itself, um, it was, I think, May 2008 that the Schnorr signature patent expired. There wasn't enough time 
to put Schnorr signatures in Bitcoin at that point, even though they'd been around for 20 years almost. And that's because of the patent and because Schnorr, who patented them, never licensed that patent and never let anyone use them because he wanted to make money, which he actually I don't think ever made because he was greedy. Um, but, but he didn't end up getting this technology out there. So everything was stifled and we ended up with elliptic curve. And now with Taproot, 12 years later, we're going to get Schnorr signatures in, in Bitcoin. I mean, this is something that should have been there from day one. They're smaller, they're faster. A multi-sig looks like a single sig. So you can do transactions much more anonymously and more efficiently. You don't have to show that you have a multi-sig. You know, so this is the kind of thing that, that, that innovation that's stifled. Now on the future that we're trying to protect, if you look at where patents are going, everybody talks about quantum crypto and quantum resistant hashing and these kind of things. Imagine a future in which all the quantum hash algorithms are patented. So you can break the Bitcoin chain, but you can no longer secure it because you can't implement a quantum resistant hash to secure it because you need that. I mean, it'll be secure. It's, it's not going to break. Bitcoin's not going to break because of quantum computing, because as soon as we put a quantum hash on it, all that work becomes quantum work and, and it, proof of work still works. But if you aren't allowed to implement that, we would have a real problem. That's a fantastic point. Uh, Eleanor, are you familiar yeah. at all with what you just said? Okay, would you like, yeah. I know you want to ask me about that before. So Eleanor, I'll cut to you. Oh, yeah, I just I was thinking that we were talking about innovation and how these different protocols basically are offering different value proposition. And regarding Schnorr signatures, BCH uh, implemented it in its uh, May 2019 upgrade. So and that's something that was really interesting, I see, is that we could see that among Bitcoin forks that to see how fast the development can go through and who who's going to have the best technology, who's going to have the best user experience in general might get the market, right? That's the end goal, I think, of all these cryptocurrencies. Aside from the pa patents, which I know we're all here to talk about, but it's sadly not my expertise, but I, I, really, I really see that this technology innovation and in general, how these protocols are, um, they want to compete with each other. They want to offer the more features for users. And in terms of privacy, as I understand, Schnorr is really one of the most interesting technology coming around. I, I've heard a lot of questions around Taproot recently, um, but um, I'm happy that Bitcoin is innovating again and you know changing its protocol as well. So may the, may the best fork win. That's how I see it. So I'm happy that Schnorr is coming around, that we're offering more uh, privacy for users. Um, I, I wish we had more privacy by default. For anybody listening, uh, Bitcoin is absolutely not anonymous. <laughs> it is pseudo-anonymous. Um, and Schnorr signatures are only one way, basically, of um, adding a one small layer or actually a significant layer of privacy for people. Okay, great. And also, Jed said something very interesting about quantum computers, because one day they will pose a significant threat. To right. And well, they will they'll pose, well, for, yeah. uh, but, but as he said, what if somebody were to patent those remedies? And what if they were to um, basically <sighs> refuse. Uh, Jed, can you please clarify a little bit? Because I, I have never heard that argument before, and it's a really I, good one. I've, I've, I've heard it, but I think that quantum computing will break everything. <laughs> like, it's yeah, not just cryptocurrency. Just because it will break it <laughs> doesn't mean that somebody won't come and, you know, they will find a remedy. They will fix it, too. Quantum hashes will be quantum-resistant. Exactly. And But the problem would be if all the quantum hash algorithms are patented, 
And so, you know, someone says IBM or whoever says you have to use IBM coin. It's the only coin that is quantum enabled. And we own the patents and that's the only cryptocurrency that the world gets now. It's over guys, because we've broken everything else. We have all your private keys from your RSA and your elliptic curve, you're done. So, you know, we have to avoid that. And, and there's us, Open Crypto Alliance, it's opencryptoalliance.org. You know, we have a small amount of funding in the committee. Uh, we need to raise much more funding in order to be able to fight this battle. And, and if we can't raise the funding, well, we're not going to be able to fight it. There are two other organizations that we are we work with and, and are in touch with and dialogue with as well. Uh, there's COPA, which is Crypto Open Patent Alliance, which was founded by Square. Um, and we've been speaking to them quite a bit and we'll basically fight uh, side by side with them. They are a different organization in that their um, modus operandi is to all their members will not sue each other. They will not assert patents against each other. So by joining COPA, you're declaring that you are a good patent actor and you're not a patent troll. Um, we actually want to prevent patents from being awarded in the first place. And then there's Lot Network, which is license on transfer, and it's well beyond crypto. Lot Network is a big uh, patent organization. And they license on transfer means when, when you have a patent, suppose you're a startup and you patent something very innovative, but then your startup goes bust. And typically what happens then is a patent troll will buy your patent from the, from the liquidator. And then that patent will be used to attack other companies that innovate in the same space that you were in but are more successful than your startup was. So license on transfer was actually created by Google and a bunch of other big companies. Um, and the idea there is once you join that network, if your patents are transferred from you to a patent troll or a patent assertion entity is what they're called legally. And that the definition of that is a company that makes more than 50% of its revenue from patent lawsuits, not from building product and serving customers. Um, but if your patent falls into the hand of such a, such an entity, instantly everybody else in that network gets a perpetual license on that patent and cannot be trolled. So that's what Lot Network does, and I, I joined Lot Network as well. Um, you know, my company. So it's I support these other efforts, and we all need to work together to to keep this open and free. Okay, so basically, there are people who are trying to hijack the Bitcoin network with patents. But are you all around against patents for, uh, I'm sorry, interference? You guys hear that as well? Yeah, it's okay. We still hear you. Okay. Are you against um, all patents in the cryptocurrency space as a general rule? Or are you simply against people abusing patents to hijack Bitcoin? Open Crypto Alliance is very much against bad actors using patents to prevent other people from innovating and building uh, crypto and blockchain technology. It's, it's beyond Bitcoin because patents are generic in a, in a lot of ways, you know, if, if there'll be more on a, a specific aspect of the technology rather than the brand of Bitcoin or how Bitcoin does it. Um, so that's, that's where we are focused, but yet we live in a world where patent law exists. I mean, I, I filed a patent on, on peer chain protocol. In, in 2017, it's a defensive patent and it's because the system's there. And I'll happily put this patent in the public domain, you know, and so that nobody can, but by having it there, I can prevent people from attacking me. It's part of a defensive strategy. Okay, so 
if there were some blockchain projects that patented their own network, so they had patents, uh, would you say that that poses a threat to the overall cryptocurrency space, or would you? No. Yeah, okay. Who, I don't know who said that. That was banned. I couldn't, I couldn't hear the question. Sorry, Max. Uh, there are some projects, for instance, that yeah, they definitely have their own patents and they believe that they're necessary for uh, enterprise adoption. For instance, free Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, maybe. That uh, wasn't me. I'm sorry. I'm going to mute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It, mute fine. or boot. <laughs> that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I'm, I'm... Okay, great. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, no problem. Okay, so no, I, I don't believe that you should patent all of your your project as far as possible. I would rather have a world where where we don't patent this stuff and we don't need to think about patent defense and getting sued and whatnot. There, there must be some projects, for instance, that would need to patent their projects, though, right? I mean, there must be some intellectual property that they need to protect. Otherwise, what's to stop a copycat project from just? hijacking their idea no it's not about that it's it, it's either you build the best project or you don't and if someone else takes your techniques that's fine let them let them do it just I mean, fucking kill them easy code is there but um you know you have to be prepared for bad patent actors and you need a defensive strategy maybe maybe stefan since you've got more experience in that side of the things patent defenses you've seen a bit of that i think you have a patent lawsuit town nearby you uh, where these kind of things go down. Yeah, and uh, I'm in Houston and the Eastern District of Texas, which is in Marshall. Uh, you look like you're in a Spanish villa, actually. Sorry, just had to put that out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, give me yeah, a second. Uh, uh, moderator <laughs> is uh, out to lunch. <laughs> now, you're right, in a, now you're in a retirement home. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I've gotten... <laughs> patents for myself and hundreds for clients too. Unfortunately, that's necessary now. It's not as necessary as you might think. Um, the primary reason is for defensive purposes, right? But they, uh, it's like getting giving guns or bullets to someone. They can use them offensively or defensively. So you can't really tell someone how to use a patent once they get it. Uh, and the danger is they might use it to sue people, which is one advantage of the lot network, right? Like so a startup gets it for defensive reasons and then they go bankrupt. And a patent troll buys it and uses it assertively, uh, so the lot network would keep them from doing that because all the members of the lot network could not be sued by that patent. But um, another reason you get a patent is because given our world, a lot of investors, venture capitalists want to know that you have your IP locked up, and they want to know that you're going to be protected from competition to some degree. So they ask you, hey, do you have a lot of patents on your technology, and they take that into account when they fund you. Um, of course, if there was a patent-free world, they wouldn't have to do that, but they have to do that now to some degree. But it doesn't mean you have to patent as much as people do now. A lot of that's for aggressive purposes. So you you need to you know prudently consider arming yourself with patents to some degree. Unfortunately, in this world, but um, maybe not as much as the patent lawyers will tell you. Okay, and on that note, let's take a break because um, there seems to be some interruptions. Hopefully, we'll be able to fix that before we come back. I apologize to you guys about that. Um, so if we can all go into our breakout room, we'll, we will see you soon. Okay. So, um, but as well, they have good wine, so uh, not just for beer lovers. And now, 
we go back to the to the main actors i'm really happy to to have you all i must say and we're bringing on another secret guest okay so we're back okay so we had a few people listening in the audience uh who have some opinions as well um there's somebody new i'd like to introduce you to in the corner of the screen uh alan <clears throat> dad hey hello i'm i'm listening i'm uh, alan so he's my I'm, father uh, he's uh he's a lawyer that'll let you explain your uh explain who you are who are you dad? i'm a lawyer um, I've been practicing law many years. I'm both a lawyer in the state of California and in the District of Columbia. Do different kinds of law, tax law, communication law, uh, including radio. I also in other matters involving crypto arbitration, uh, crypto litigation, and areas of extreme interest to me. I've been listening to this panel. I'm fascinated by the discussions, particularly the uh, patent law and the need to keep crypto free. And if you're going to have patents, that patents be used only for the purpose that we're designed to do, which would be to innovation. And I recognize the tremendous uh, debate between whether patents at all and obvious position that uh, there should be no patent trolls and there should be no way to block uh, innovation in crypto or in any other uh, field of endeavor. So on that, I will uh, leave it to the rest of the panel here. Wow, Dad, I didn't think that you would uh, have those views. I thought you would, uh, you know, play devil's advocate, but that was okay. So you were obviously oh, hired by Jeff and Stefan. I can play de devil's advocate, but... There are certain things which are common sense, and there are th certain things which are, um, like you say, just taking a position to take a position. Um, I've always believed that if you take the super end of any one pole in something, that you're going to generally be, you have a good deal of wrong on your side as well as right. Um, I think that all the whole debate as, as to patents. Um, is something that, at least in the crypto area, probably comes down on the side of freedom. Because although I can see some areas where patents may be useful, I can see how they could do maximum damage in the crypto space. Now, I can see also where if you have some areas, particularly outside of crypto, which I think is really where the, where the concern is, because the crypto itself, will be, it's, it's open space, but the, the part of crypto where crypto meets other businesses, in other words, actually used, that's where you're into the patent wall, the area of patents, where you're going to have businesses crippled. And I have to debate. And particularly interested in the system fight patent. In other words, the idea that, plat that patent trolls must be uh, met with counterparts, that is, with cr the crowdsourcing idea and the idea individuals can be in consortiums, in essence, or in pills. 
In other words, you have a patent. If you lose your patent in a bankruptcy or an insolvency proceeding, the patent becomes much less useless, useful, or in fact, because uh, others, others have the right to use it. So to me, that's a very um, important area. In fact, probably the important thing to think of is that there be an organized attempt to prevent monopolization by patent. Wow, Dad, I have to say that uh, for for somebody who does all this cryptocurrency stuff, uh, you have terrible internet, Dad. <laughs> I do. I like, out of every word you said, you know. <laughs> well, I hate to tell you something, but the real monopoly power in this world is not the internet. It's it's not it's not going. It's not the man of a cyber space. Fact that in California. Where I am, I have one provider of internet. I'm stuck with it. So I, I'm the victim of a state monopoly, no? Yeah, yes, no. California. California. The, California the... monopoly. If I, if I lived in Long Beach, if I lived 20 miles, um, I would have perfect internet. That's but terrible. because I live there and I'm under the control of Cox Communications, I have <laughs> lousy internet. And there's nothing I got it. Oh, well, that's uh, that's like kind of the dog ate my homework excuse. Uh, we'll talk about that later. I'm sure we can get you well, better in internet. Case, well, you're yeah. right. I'm, I should should give up my middle class morality and I should move immediately to another city with better internet. Well, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, uh, so Stefan's currently in, Stefan, where are you right now? You're not in Texas, are you? It's in Texas? Yeah, Houston, Texas. Yeah, okay. And, and, uh, Dad, you know, California, you're always trashing California, telling me it's time to get out. Have you ever thought about moving to Texas? Texas. It's a lovely place. In fact, I love your background. <laughs> Thanks. That's my front yard. Is that, a, is that a really your, your back? Is that just a picture you're hanging out on the wall? It's a picture of my front yard, but it's my front yard. I love it. There you go. <laughs> You know, whenever I try to bring like my dad clients for people who want to start their business in California, he always says, don't do it. His first piece of advice, don't start a business in California. Get out, you know. Uh, so, um, dad, thank you for joining us for that. Um, also, Stefan, um, is there anything uh, else that you would like to add to this patent argument? Because you've obviously influenced my father. So this crypto alliance thing, uh, tell us a little bit more about um, how you are fighting um how you are because before last time we got cut off by some people speaking but how you guys are really fighting against these crazies or these imposters or these fraudsters who are claiming that they created bitcoin and they are now trying to assert patents or they're trying to file patents um how do you deal with frivolous lawsuits how do you allocate your funds so that they're not being spent you know basically fighting things that will get thrown out anyways yeah, so we're not going to fight lawsuits. What, what we're trying to do is uh, – because that's very, very expensive. So here, here's, our, here's the deal. Um, there's hundreds of patents being filed by uh, certain people that are well-known in the Bitcoin community, but also others like uh, um, Alibaba and uh, – what was the one we saw this morning, Jed? Uh, uh, the, the, the news alert about uh, one of the telecom players or one of the media companies. MasterCard? MasterCard, yeah, MasterCard's filing them too, so that um, so you have uh, lots of lots of patents coming. The thing is, a lot of them are, I think, invalid in the sense of uh, they're not they're not 
uh, substantial enough to be an invention. Uh, they're not non-obvious, or maybe they're just not even new because uh, there's code out there that pre was a precursor. But the problem is the patent office is not able to know all this, uh, and they're not competent, and the standards are not objective. And the problem is once a patent is granted, it has a presumption of validity, a legal presumption of validity, and that makes it a dangerous weapon. Uh, your dad was talking about being used for its original purpose, and one thing I just posted in the chat was um, – one good thing that's happened, at least in the U.S. law in recent years, is that uh, the ability to get an injunction to enforce your patent has been eroded by the eBay decision, which means you have to like sue someone and try to get money from them, but you can't get an injunction to stop them from doing what they're doing. So that would be that would mean the patents pose a little bit less of a threat. But the point is, what we want to do is identify key patents that are pending right now before the European or U.S. or other uh, patent offices and find the prior art that is previous technology and publications that, that precede it that show that it was not a new idea and just basically get an attorney, a patent attorney, to, to file a proceeding with the European patent office and tell the examiner, hey, look, look at this prior art. You should not grant this patent. And that doesn't take a lot of money, um, and once we start chipping away and have some successes, we can do that. And we are, we're already in the – I mean we're a new group. We just went public a couple of months ago, and we're right now we're, we're right now identifying patents, and we're probably going – I mean we don't have any concrete data on that, but we're probably going to be filing our first challenge shortly, and we're working on that right now. And uh, the more funding that we can get from the community, we can hire attorneys to challenge other patents and to start chipping away at these threats. Fantastic. Now, um, before we conclude on that, I just want to remind everyone, Eleanor is not specialized in patents at all, and we definitely want to utilize her expertise. So um, I yield to Eleanor. What would you like to talk about, huh? Eleanor, what is your area of expertise? Actually, I wanted to go back to the patents because I'm, I'm learning a lot, right? I understand that by joining this event tonight as well, for me, this was obviously for me to learn about something that's new to me um, and bringing my, my own expertise from, from the community side. What I see is that there's a big problem with this patent office that seems like really uneducated and you guys are basically spending time and money and effort teaching these people and catching patents before they're approved it's a very interesting process and 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 i can understand how overwhelming it must be if there's like ten thousand patents you have to like go through them and and find the really crucial ones and which ones will really do harm to the ecosystem and how to filter through it and and be recognized as a as a thought leader in patents and to be able to say this one doesn't make sense this one is not valid this one shouldn't go through. And at the same time, some of them, like you mentioned, Jed, that you yourself have a patent. I understand that there are some patents out there, uh, defensive patents that can make sense sometimes. And I, I want to, we talked about Schnorr before, like as one of the patents that was hindering the technology on the protocol level itself. But you've been mentioning patents that are hindering the space on the on and off ramp, so not on the technology itself, but later on in the process and for Bitcoin businesses. Am I understanding this correctly? You're muted right now, Jed. 
Yeah, and that is correct. One more thing, uh, if you just before you answer that, she said that you're using your patent defensively, but uh, my understanding is that you're also using it offensively, also as a sword, not just as a shield. Is that correct? It is a defensive patent, and I joined the lot network for that purpose. I mean, if it falls into other hands, it, it is licensed to everybody. Uh, but yes, I, I would consider using it as a sword, of course, if uh, the, the peer chain protocol that the patent is on, it's a bit technical, but it is a protocol that allows you to move value and assets from one chain to another, trusted information, not just coins, but actually information. And uh, the idea being so that- a, It's an interoperability chain type of- It's an interoperability protocol, yes, that is peer chain. So it, it runs on top of multiple chains. Um, and, and I would consider using it to stop someone from connecting a fraudulent or, or complete shitcoin chain onto an ecosystem that I was participating in and supporting. Yeah, I would, I would actually use it as a sword in that case. Um, but that said, you know, it's not, it's not there to be offensive. I don't, it actually costs me a lot of money and I don't expect to make any money back. And by joining LOT, it's not of interest to investors because if I transfer that patent, everyone else gets a license of it. So it's, it's clearly defensive. Okay. Uh, yeah. Eleanor, what, what exactly uh, does your company do? Because we didn't go into detail at all. It's okay. It's yet. okay. I, I can't believe I'm, I'm sharing the stage with uh, like Stefan. I've been looking at your videos and it's, it's, it's just fantastic to be here and talking to, with other libertarians about these things. And of course, I, I love this space. There's so many different profiles and you need lawyers and developers and marketeer and business developers. And uh, from my side, what do I do? I specialize really in education. So I've been teaching Crypto 101s um, for the last couple of months, I've been teach, but I've been teaching them for specific regions. So I'm based in Amsterdam, but I've been teaching people in Lebanon, Hong Kong, Italy, Vietnam, and where people need cryptocurrencies, where people actually need to transact, uh, sometimes escape a local terrible monetary regime. Um, I mean, from Houston to Amsterdam to Luxembourg, we are spoiled. We are very spoiled with our financial institutions and our banks and the regulations we, are, we fall under. Uh, but in some places, um, devaluation, uh, hyperinflation of prices is over the roof and, and cannot be compared. And, we, and people uh, have no escape from the banking system. So I've been really focusing on, uh, on education. I also teach one-on-ones for those that want me uh, on a, on a, to be able to learn really all the fundamentals of cryptocurrencies and blockchain and consensus algorithms and all the good stuff. And I'm also launching a podcast. So I'm really excited for a lot of things. So I'll be reaching out, I think, to some of you because I'm, I want to make a podcast that's really uh, focused on the humans in crypto, focus on our experiences as individuals, part of this ecosystem and what brought us here. And I think learning as well about patents and law and what it has implications, because I usually have a very libertarian uh, narrative. And I say, you know, we don't how can I say this, that, you know, regulators can't catch us, we're too fast, and we are, we are going so fast, and technology and our society, and our ways of transacting and exchanging value, just laws and regulators can't catch up, but they might. Um, I've seen here in the Netherlands, you know, in the European directive, the AMLD5 last year, um, I've seen companies also fighting the government, because the, well, there's all these, you know, who's dictating these new laws, and 
enforcing new crypto businesses, right? So I'm thinking about exchanges here in the Netherlands, asking them to verify not only your customers, so verifying their you know, Bitcoin addresses or cryptocurrency addresses, but also to verify their counterparty. So it's know your customer's client. So it's, it's further and we're asking a lot. And um, obviously it goes against a lot of these businesses um, motos or you know what they how they brought customers in the first place uh asking them now to to do this means that they're going to lose customers so absolutely laws and regulation can hinder innovation in a whole industry and this is just from here in the netherlands so we're lucky we're in a very we have crypto we have sort of crypto regulations but are they the ones we really want um i'm not sure and so it's it's also a game of i understand that we need to fight on several places we need to fight um, with patent trolls, but we also have to educate our regulators and just educate the general the general people as well about this technology and reassure them um, that this technology is available, that people can use it, that you're not a criminal for using it, and just showing them how how easy it can be to send money across the world for very low fees and how internet magic money is not something from the past. It's actually something that we can use today. And patents are just... Hey, one thing we'll have to kick on the road, I think. Uh, cryptocurrency has to go through a, a lot of barriers uh, in terms of adoption, and patents is is one of those things. That's what that's I would add. That's so true, and you you really uh, picked up on a point there about how some people are not using, they're not investing in cryptocurrency. They're um, it's not speculative for them; it's survival. A lot of people, you know, their local currencies are the volatile one, are the ones that that give them the most risk, and they don't look at it, uh, cryptocurrency as being the dangerous investment, you know, they hedge their bets against, uh, they do anything to get their money out of their local currency. And Bitcoin for them uh, offers them a lot more, uh, you know, prosperity, even if it crashes. And and if people are afraid of volatility, teaching them about stable coins. We have very good decentralized stable coins already, like DAI, for example, built over Ethereum. Okay, it's expensive right now to transact it. And this is why the space keeps on evolving. We need we need to answer all these questions from these different different users, basically. But cryptocurrencies is we talked about the white paper, right? It's a peer to peer electronic cash system. Right. That's that's it's a lot of things. And it can be a lot, and it's for each investor or user is going to be something different. Um, but cryptocurrencies are here to, to really change. This is a true paradigm shift. I really see it as a, we had the separation of, you know, a state and church. Let's have the separation of uh, money and state. It's happening. It's happened. So yeah. they can't go. You sound like Rothbard. That's great. <laughs> I like that one liner. We, we really need to bring back uh, trademarks for this <laughs> very pro intellectual property you got some great stuff there we can sell no, i'm not going to patent anything <laughs> everything open source use it run with it make some merch put some t-shirts i to go back to your your question about noam chomsky if you're a thinker you want your ideas to be as widely diffused as possible even if you would write a book if that's the only way you're making money i would say you're a bad business person that's it or like you didn't you... Broad, but uh <laughs> but uh here, here's a question um, okay, so we're against patents, but that doesn't mean that we're support that we support lawlessness, right? Okay, so um, regulation. There has to be some level of regulation, AML compliance. So you know you can't just send money to anyone. You have to make sure that the person you're sending the money to. Is- this is yeah, yeah. Regulation is an interesting thing. Um, 
simply putting existing regulation onto crypto, which is what regulators and governments have been trying to do, is a totally backwards approach. It's like trying to regulate cars the way we regulated horses, which is what they did when the car was invented. It took years for yeah. them to figure out that a car is not a, a motorized horse and you have to treat it differently. Um, and that's crypto versus fiat, you know, and, and the old financial system. So we need new kinds of, of regulation. And the ones that we have, by the way, in the fiat system are so broken and useless. If you look at um, Chainalysis's analysis of crime in crypto, 0.35%, that's 0.35% of Bitcoin transaction or crypto transactions that they analyzed were connected to illicit activity, all right? The very same statistic from the UN Office of Drugs and Crime shows that 3.6% of global GDP is laundered money. So there's a literally an order of magnitude worse illicit activity in the fiat system than there is in crypto. That's, that's oh, yeah. just a starting yeah. point. I mean, I'm sure okay. you're familiar with the, the FinCEN files, right? Of course, all that. You're familiar. Yeah. But, and, but oh, if you look okay. at how does KYC work today, and, and this is where it's just my mind explodes. KYC is so broken that I actually, my company is trying to fix a lot of it. The way KYC works today is as if they designed the road system and the driving system, okay? You can buy a car. You don't need a license to drive. But every time you go to a mechanic or to a gas station, you have to tell them where you're coming from, where you're going, who you are. And if they think there's anything suspicious about you, they will secretly report you to the police. That's how KYC works today. And this is not a good system. It's not the way to do it. It'd be much easier if every government just said, here's your financial license. You're not a terrorist. You're not a, a money launderer. You're, and money laundering, by the way, is a crime that requires a predicate offense. So in order to launder money, you have to have the proceeds of a crime. You cannot launder money without a crime that creates those profits. So you need to be trafficking arms or trafficking humans or engaging in illicit um, activities. That's what creates money that can be laundered. So, so this idea of just money laundering by itself and then making all the financial players police their own customers is insanity. And we certainly let, let me, don't want to take that to crypto. Let me add a libertarian take on this too. Uh, most of the things that or the predicate offenses are not real crimes. Uh, so money laundering wouldn't even be a thing in a free world because uh, you know people have to launder money because the government's outlaw pornography and drugs, right, and weapons and 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 they have taxes that people are trying to evade. So without all these unjust harmful government laws money laundering wouldn't even be a thing yeah that's it oh, terrorism <laughs> human trafficking slavery you know these kinds no, of no, crimes no, I, I, yeah uh, yeah those we, are we predicate the, offenses we that we stress. don't want to go away correct uh, this is great this is such a fun discussion it's like yeah those laws yeah but in the end why do we have those laws it's it's fantastic and i think to go back on the kyc uh, discussion i don't know if you guys saw that shapeshift had implemented so shapeshift was like a big decentralized uh, exchange and a lot of people loved it because they didn't have kyc then they implemented kyc it was a big a whole ecosystem was an uproar like no shapeshift what are you doing and they removed kyc again so they've uh they've 
reverted their own policy and they're removing KYC now. And I think what's really interesting um, for the larger audience is the rise of decentralized exchanges. We're not even joking yes. here. We're talking about billions being exchanged on beautiful platforms, may I may say. Uh, Uniswap is gorgeous. It's just unicorns and pinkness. And I also love the marketing of it all. It's just really nice. Um, and there's no KYC AML. So they are beautiful projects and businesses, use, case, use cases and businesses being being adopted here. And there's no KYC ML, right? These, well, and these are completely unregulated platforms and there's liquidity. Okay, but I'm going to have to step here in, in here and say, do you guys really think it's realistic to uh, have an exchange without KYC AML? Do you really think you're going to be able to survive uh, without complying with anti-money laundering regulations, OPAC sure. regulations, sanctions compliance. Ultimately, no. the The exchange will run, the DEX will run. Yes, but the people who trade on the DEX is what's going to happen. Is someone is going to be a counterparty to a trade that is used to finance terrorism, and because they're the counterparty of that trade, and they didn't do it through a coin join and Monero and all this stuff, and they are trackable, they will be a terrorist financier. So the DEX is not the problem, but the people using the DEX are actually putting themselves at risk because they don't know who their counterparty is. Governments okay. are doing it. The U.S. <laughs> I'm certain that secret wow. intelligence services use these things because the secret yeah. intelligence service is nothing but an organized crime organization that only operates illegally outside of your own country. That's what a, the definition of a secret intelligence service is. Yeah. So, yeah, so these, yes, of course they use it. Okay, yeah, anybody we, can be a liquidity provider. Serious actors. We all agree that there are criminals. We all agree that there are terrorists. We all agree that there are terrible people. Um, how do we stop them from uh, getting crypto if it is that decentralized? If there is no AML, then what? Uh, do you guys really stand by your statements that there should be no AML compliance, that you should do nothing to prevent uh, cryptocurrency from getting in the hands of some of the worst people on earth? Yep. I'd say the terrible people and the criminals, and the terrorists are the federal government, and uh, hopefully crypto will, will ruin their fiat money dominance, and they will be less able to fund their wars and their bombing of people in the Middle East and things like that. So let, let's hope that crypto ends the dominance of the real terrorists, which is the which are the central governments. But that's my radical libertarian perspective. Amen. I, know, uh, Amen. Sorry. I totally. concur. Totally. <laughs> Wait, Dad, did you say something? I didn't hear you. I have a slightly different view of it here, and it's a practical view of it. But I, in terms of whether or not it's desirable that um, nation states be reduced in power, and I, I understand there's the, the libertarian point of view of that, and frankly, I'm the government is itself the greatest danger to human freedom. I agree with I agree with that at a fundamental level. I have a much practical way to look at this, I think, which is that we may want crypto to be of government. The fact of the matter is that the tendencies are going the way, uh, particularly in the United States and I think in other other places. The governments are going to crack down and are, in fact, cracking down on it. For one thing, they want to tax it. Um, the United States, particularly um, aggressive interest in taxing transactions, um, are, at least in the United States, the IRS has 
uh, modified the forms that uh, everyone files their taxes on here to require the disclosure of crypto. And um, individuals will be tracked on the question of whether they own crypto and are going to to account for uh, crypto sales and purchases in the United States. May, and before they always had legal obligation to report their income, but now there's explicit questions, little tripwires been put there, which make it basically a felony if you don't tell that you own crypto. And once you tell the federal government you own crypto, now comes the next step, which is you have to start correctly. And what they're interested in is taking their cut, and they will be able to do that, at least among U.S. Uh, US persons, they will do that. U.S. persons owe um, to the IRS regarding where they've been for how long they've lived there. So the idea that we're all going to avoid governments or this will operate outside of the space of governments I think is going to be an idea that we may, but I think as a practical matter, we're going to have a lot of trouble implementing. It will be hard to implement. Deb, thoughts? Deb? Anybody there? Yeah. We'll see capital flight. I think we'll see a lot of capital flight from the U.S. in crypto. Um, People will, uh, you know, U.S. persons will find other vehicles to hold it, that use offshore trusts and things like this that are hard to look through. Of course, they're trying to get rid of all these structures. They want total transparency, but, um, you know, that's, I think it's, that's, isn't it normal? Isn't it normal that they're trying to defend the dollar? I mean, it's questioning the very nature of the dollar. So, I mean, it's normal that the U.S. government is, I mean, they have to do something. They have to try something they can't just then idle as people move their treasury all to cryptocurrencies it's it's freaking them out it's i i, I we expected this as a, the space talked about this for years that regulators would would regulate on and off ramps let alone taxes and um yeah i think it's interesting there was this person recently uh, i can't remember the source correctly but someone was arrested they apparently had stolen a bunch of cryptocurrencies but they're not revealing their private keys so even oh, though yeah. this person yeah, is, did you see story. it? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Isn't it gorgeous? It's like, yeah, fine. Arrest me. Put me in jail, but I'm never giving you my crypto. I think it's, you know, you, you can only go so far. <laughs> if you think about it though, Bitcoin or crypto in general, true crypto that's properly implemented. I mean, you have a seed phrase you write that down on a piece of paper. That's free speech. So your, your crypto is protected by the laws that protect speech. <laughs> also your crypto is, property. So your crypto is protected by all the property rights laws as well. I mean, it's it, the government's got a big, a big nut to crack here, and it's going to take them a long time to figure it out. I never thought of a seat as free speech. This is <laughs> mind blowing right now. No, you know what's funny is when we started off talking about patents, you know, and how you're against intellectual property, I was like, okay, this is a thing, you know, I need to expand my horizons because I, I would never uh, take that position, you know, before this conversation, you, you know, I was even surprised that my father, who I always thought was more conservative, he agreed with you guys, I called him up during the break and said, what did you think? And he says, I agree with most of it. But now I think all of you, my dad included, are, are just batshit crazy. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> about this libertarian stuff, you know, and uh, the government. But let me tell you the good news. The good news is that crypto is getting us all to say things 
and to think in a way that we've never thought before so freely. So even though I think you're all batshit crazy, I mean, are you really, are you really, you know? I mean, because now you guys are, are going to run the future monetary systems. I mean, cryptocurrency yep. is going to be adopted by all institutions. And who's at the forefront of it? The people who I call batshit crazy. Who are the lawyers? Who are the people who are going to be fighting against the patents? People like Stefan, people like Jet. Okay. So maybe I'm just not used to this. And a lot of people are not used to this in the mainstream, these sort of ideas, and we're just going to have to get used to them. And maybe um, right now, for instance, the things that you guys have said, like 90% of it after the patents, I totally disagree with. Like I'm totally for Pat, I'm totally for KYC. I'm totally for AML. I think it's totally ludicrous not to have KYC for an exchange. But you know what? The fact that this topic is even you know, becoming in the mainstream, the idea that we can even debate this now and not basically be disregarded as, as, uh, you know, as cretins or whatever. I think that this is what it's really exciting about the cryptocurrency space because it's giving power to people who otherwise would have been disregarded by the system. And in that sense, I guess I am a libertarian. You know, uh, well, let me, uh, you know, just like cryptocurrency is making us think about things we hadn't thought of before, like money, right? M money used to be gold or commodities or fiat. Now we're wondering what about digital assets? Um, until around 1995 with the internet, most people didn't think about patents and copyrights because they were the province of the big companies and they were in the background, right? Um, you know, you couldn't just copy a book by looking at it. <laughs> So you had to have a printing press and all that. And so copyright sort of went in the background, and so did but, – but when piracy started on the internet, then copyright came into every consumer's lives. And, and now patents are hitting people in their daily lives with impacts on, on the technology that they use on the internet. So uh, technology, the digital age, and now digital money age is causing more and more people to have to confront and think about – Things that were arcane in the province of specialists before, right? Like cryptography, um, property rights and digital things, tax law, a K a KYC, AML, patent, copyright, all these kinds of things. And and the good thing is now we have forums we can talk about it and people can learn. And you know, you don't have these little communities of people that keep it keep this knowledge to themselves like a bunch of scribes. Yes, and also even uh, Stefan, you know, you have a very interesting, very credible background. Even your, I saw your Wikipedia page. You know, you're published, all the stuff you've published. And Jad, with you and your background in NATO, I mean, it's not like you know you're some crackpot guy who you know we just pulled off the street and said, "Hey, talk about crypto." And yet you somehow developed these views over time. When did you feel you became most disillusioned um, with our current monetary system? When, when did you have that moment? Uh, it was a gradual thing. I've been interested in digital cash for a long time and actually thought of a lot of the ideas behind Bitcoin. When I came across a paper uh, called How to Make a Mint, which was published by the NSA in 1996, um, it was leaked in, in 2000, early 2008 on, on Cryptome. I don't know if any of you know that site, but it's a site run by a, a former architect and they leak a lot of private and secret government stuff. Um, so, so that was sort of, I knew there was something there, um, but obviously the financial crisis, I could see that coming, you know, the dot-com bubble and then the financial crisis. And it just, it's, it was clear that we were on a trajectory and it's now 
you know, to the point where last year, 20% of, of all the, the dollars in existence were printed. Um, and this year, even more will be printed. In the next four years, there will be uh, more than $7 trillion added to the money supply. So that's just a de debasement of the currency straight up. It's, um, it's pretty amazing. And, uh, and the patents that are going to control this, I mean, ultimately, if you look at Bitcoin, uh, people are talking about central bank digital currencies, something we didn't touch on yet. But central bank digital currencies are all fine and good, and central banks can implement those in their jurisdictions. But what will central banks use to transact with each other? They used to use gold. And, and I actually think Bitcoin is the only thing that they'll be able to agree on because it's proven. It, it's been running so long. There's no technical issue with it. It's there and none of them control it. So ultimately, Bitcoin will have to be the central bank reserve currency. Central bankers would kill me for saying that, but it's, you know, their successors are going to embrace it. I really believe that is the future. Um, and if you want to see pictures sorry, sorry. or a video of someone saying they want to control that whole system through patent trolling, go to opencryptoalliance.org and watch the video on the, on the middle of our webpage. I'm definitely going to check that out. And on that note, let's bring this uh, to a close. I would like everyone to give me kind of their final statement. Stefan, uh, Eleanor, what would you like to contribute before we leave everybody to do whatever they're going to do now? Wait, guys, we have a question for from uh, audience. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Can we answer the question? Sure. Well, where is the question? Is it in the, is it? typed or is somebody going to speak? Yeah, I've sent it. Wait a minute. Uh, give me a second to the, to the group on Telegram. Um, okay. <laughs> Let me check Let's that, you guys. It. See what the question is. It's from okay. Nat and it's from Jed specifically. It's for Jed? Okay. It says, Jed, uh, how would you see a chatbot driving your identity through API keys? I very much hate all uploading on the exchanges. It's abominating and very data consuming. My data everywhere, a violation of constitutional right to share only the data. Okay. Um, okay, that was... That I was think helpful. it's on KYC and I, I've thought about that same thing and I, I find it ridiculous that we have to expose all our personal information to be judged by some weenie uh, who will decide whether or not we're worthy of using the service that we want to use. Um, that said, I do agree with some of the things you said, Max. We do need to be sure that we're not dealing with uh, terrorists and that we're not you know, doing business with people that are, are giving us the proceeds of, of heinous uh, crimes against other humans. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to expose your identity. That doesn't mean you have to, to upload all of your personal information. We have the technology to do this through zero knowledge proofs. We have the technology to do this on a peer to peer basis. I am building the technology to do this on a peer to peer basis without exposing your identity. That's a challenge in itself, but we're actually building it. We're, we're deep in the code, um, but the bigger challenge, once we have it and it works, is in the first release, we'll have to allow people to expose all their personal information because the regulator will only accept it if it does that. And then we need to convince the regulator that what they're demanding is not necessary. We don't need to strip search everybody before they board the plane. You know, 
we, we have technology that can see through clothes and, and doesn't need to expose the identity of the person, metaphorically speaking. Okay, and the name of that company is KYC? KYC3 is the company I founded to, to do this. Okay, that's also very, very interesting. Um, I wish we would have also gone, I wish we would have had more time because I would have liked to delve into that as well. Um, Another time. Yeah, that, <laughs> I'd be happy to. Definitely. Yeah. Um, do we have any other questions? Let's see, on the chat, or um, if we have any other questions, now would be the we time. Have, we have uh, from Andrew. Okay. Uh, it says, uh, my question will be on uh, four horsemen of the info. Okay, infocopalypse. Okay. Uh, we'll appreciate you touching this subject as uh, I don't see the question. I'm reading your thing. Okay, and um, you read it. I can't. I can't see it here. I don't Four understand. horsemen of the infocalypse, mm -hmm. an analogy of internet criminals. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure. Maybe this was already discussed. Mm -hmm. Looks like this is this is um, in connection with uh, one of the this, one of the topics that you already covered, Andrew. Okay, so is there any other uh, question or are we going to wrap this up? There's no other question. Um, let's let Eleanor and Stefan also have the last word. Okay, I'll, I'll just say that it was wonderful to be invited here. Thank you so much for moderating, Max, Jed, Stefan, and Alan. It was great to connect um, and, you know, be the able to directly have these peer-to-peer -peer, uh, conversations <laughs> over Zoom tonight. Um, I've learned a lot. And in terms of patents, yeah, no to patents, long live cryptocurrencies and the free internet and make sure to back up your private keys. And um, yeah, the cypherpunk dream is, is alive and, uh, and kicking. I'd say you're wrapping yourself in the crypto flag, but we have the flag, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, no, it's cool. Uh, Eleanor, your company, let us know your company. Um, so yeah, uh, my company is CryptoCanal, CryptoCanal.org. I've also left in the chat here uh, the Telegram link to the community, so you can always find me there. You can find me on Twitter at BlockBlank. And yeah, CryptoCanal.org if you want to book me, talk about education, if you want to have me to just teach other people about what we're talking about here tonight. And it was my really my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And I, and I wish we could have also been able to uh, speak about things that, as you said, you were you came on to talk about. I'm glad that you enjoyed the patent conversation and you contributed so much. It was really nice to hear you talk about the forks. Um, because it was freedom. One of the first casualties <laughs> if uh, the patents were actually to come into force. So, uh, Stefan? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'll uh, be nice to have Jed kind of finish it up. Uh, okay. But... Uh, uh, I, thanks for the backhanded compliment that uh, you guys don't seem to be as crazy as you sound. It's cool, you know, because but I don't agree yeah. with a lot, of, a lot of the stuff I hear like, whoa, holy shit. Like, I don't agree with any of that. Yeah. But at the same time, I think all of us this year have, have done 180s on our views anyways. I think that this year has made a lot of people crazier, but it's also made a lot of people more open minded. Yep. Well, and I like yeah. I'm a big Austrian economist and as a, as a libertarian and like Safedina Moose's book, The Bitcoin Standard, which I think is the preeminent work in this field, is just peppered with Austrian economic insights. So 
Bitcoin itself is helping to introduce the world to sound economics, which is Austrian economics, in my view. So that's another good thing. It was looked at as a crank view years ago. And so some of our mm. radical libertarian ideas, uh, anti-state, anti-Fed, anti-inflation looked crankish before, but now people are starting to look at it and at least have an open mind and learn about it. But uh, uh, anyway, no, I'd like to thank you for this. Uh, Teshikir Ederim, and uh, I'll let Jed take it from here. You know, that was good pronunciation, but let me just say one more thing then. What you said also is interesting. Um, okay, for instance, as a musician, I would like to see my music that I write copyrighted and protected by intellectual property. And you would think that my view has been solidified for hundreds of years, but it, you don't need to look back more than 200 years or so and find out that during the times of Mozart and Haydn, there was no intellectual property. There was no copyright. And they were able to um, basically take the music of one and they were able to use it in their own composition. And it was kind of like a compliment to that composer. And you found that uh, this lack of intellectual property didn't stifle their, their progress. In fact, uh, you can, I, I think it would be hard to argue, but the best time, the, the best time for music and for growth and for, you know, for us to actually create music was, was before the birth of, uh, of this copyright, the modern copyright. So as much as I would like to see my music copywritten because I would like to profit as a composer, I have to keep in mind that for thousands of years, composers, uh, some of the most brilliant minds, they were thriving, they were profiting, they were, uh, they were the best music and they had absolutely no protections when it came with respect to uh, consumer or intellectual property. And also because of that, they were able to inspire each other and they were able to grow off one of an, uh, one each other. And it's, it could also be argued that if you had intellectual property then if you had copyrights during the time of Mozart, it's very possible that Haydn would have been who we remember because of all the stuff that one maybe copied from someone else or Beethoven. It would have had lots, lots of sequels. Um, uh, yeah, for anyone interested in, and I know my comments are provocative to people who haven't encountered it. If you're interested in looking more into it, go to my website, which is on there, c4sif.org slash resources, and there's tons of articles and talks uh, about this. In fact, on, on what you talked about, you should take a look at this one. It's on that site, uh, Max. It's called uh, The Surprising History of Copyright and the Promise of a Copyright World, a Post-Copyright World by Carl Fogel, who started the group questioncopyright.org. Um, so take a look at that. There's lots of uh, 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 counterintuitive uh, kind of alternative views on this stuff uh, there. Okay, I definitely will. I, I mean, I wrote it down, but we also have a recording, so I'll take that again. And uh, maybe yeah. before you go, Jed, because uh, I, I want Jed to finish because that's what um, Stefan said it would be good. But Dad, do you have anything to add on this copyright stuff, your opinion at all? If you do, unmute yourself. He, You're muted. He's muted. Unmute. Please. I was going to say the copyright um, issue is different because that's they're different from patents, and they have different, essentially different purposes and different um, whole different structure. But I see how copyright copyrights protect the ideas that individuals come up with. They come up with music, their art. And I don't see eliminating copyrights as the same sort of uh, moral argument that you have for eliminating patents. Um, patents are a different area. You protect when, when you protect with copyrights. Very often, you are protecting 
um, someone's expression, which I think has a higher uh, moral value, higher moral um, claim than patents. Now, let, let me give you one thing to, to let me give you one thing to, to go away with just to think about. Copyright prevents publication of books, which means it's literally censorship. Okay, so it's definitely in conflict with the First Amendment and freedom of speech and freedom of the press, and the Supreme Court has recognized this. It just tries to balance these rights, but basically copyright is censorship. So just think about it like that. It definitely is because it prevents people from publishing books that they want to publish. That said, patents are a much bigger threat to the crypto ecosystem and to blockchain technology. Patents are the threat to technology. And that's what Open Crypto Alliance is here to fight, along with COPA and Lot Network. And it's us, you know, uh, Open Crypto Alliance. We're, we're six founders on the uh, board of advisors. We've got uh, a, a dozen or so lawyers who've come, stepped up and volunteered to work with us. But, but we need you, and we need you to spread the word. We need you to support us, and we need the community to, to put the funding behind us because we're going up against some people with big, fat wallets that are going to try to protect those patents and then wreck our industry with them. So okay. go to opencryptoalliance.org and, and check it out and support us, please. Before okay. I go, I just have one thing which I'd like to bring up. Uh, sort of a food for thought. Um, those who would um, build patent walls, the patent trolls and the large companies that want to use patents to monopolize have large walls. What mechanism do you have or can you see to create countervailing economic power to meet those um, well-funded, well-organized groups? That's exactly what we're trying to do. So it's the same logic that uh, was used in the 80s in Afghanistan, you know, cheap stinger missiles to shoot down expensive helicopters. Um, what we're trying to do is to stop these patents when they're published, but not yet granted, when they're pending. And, and against particular actors that are, that are intending to use them maliciously and, and uh, in the wrong way, so bad actors. Um, but the, the approach is time sensitive. Uh, the time is now. These patents are being published now. And in three years, they'll be granted. And then it, it won't be possible. You know, you'll be talking millions of dollars to get every, each one overturned. But now before they're granted, if we can crowdsource prior art, we can show that the patents are not novel new. And the thing about patents that a lot of people don't understand is just because you do it first doesn't mean you can patent it. You have to be the inventor. So, so the, you know, you actually have to be the inventor of the technology to patent it. So now is the time to prevent these abusive patents from being granted. And there are some actors who filed so many thousands of patents that it's not humanly possible that they're the inventor of all of them. Hey, great. That was a great answer. And Dad, thank you for that. And I believe now that uh, Yerne, you would like to say something or... Yeah, uh, thank you all for coming and joining us. Uh, it was an awesome uh, ride tonight. Um, I already posted some uh, invitations. Maybe I do it again. We already have two events coming up uh, soon. Um, and yeah, thanks again. Uh, it was it was awesome, Mr. Allen. It was an honor.
uh, Ted, Stefan, thank you for all the help in moderating <laughs> Eleonor. It's an honor and pleasure. So everybody, thank you very much. I, I definitely had a lot of fun, you guys. Like, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. so what? I, you know, I don't agree with everything, but who cares what I think? What I mean, the thing is that everyone uh, here communicated and argued their point beautifully, and um, I think that this is so cool. And I last year, just two years ago, could any of you ever imagine that you know we would be able to be sitting here today? having these conversations, you know, I think that's just incredible. We got a guy in Luxembourg, someone in Texas, my dad in California, here in Istanbul, um, you know, in Amsterdam. I, I think Amsterdam. And I really in look Nigeria. forward- Nigeria, we have from Nigeria as well guests. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and uh, Jad, Stefan, I, I really look forward to having you guys again uh, with us. And also Eleanor, uh, the next time, hopefully, we can speak a little bit about more your area of expertise. I know you seem to have a lot of technical knowledge that you want to share with us. And Dad, we'll figure out, uh, we'll stuff you in somewhere. We'll just fix your internet. <laughs> and KYC, we need to do KYC as soon as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah hey, you guys. Take care. And uh, as uh, Stefan said, he said a very good job. It was Turkish. A lot of you guys didn't catch that. So, guys. <laughs> Thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bravo. Bye. 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 Bye.
Hey. Hey. Hi, guys. How's it going? Hi. Why yeah, do we have two two Gregs? One uh, a Tesla man and one just sitting here. Uh -huh. You never know which one is going to catch your throat. One is a space man. <laughs> <and the second one. laughs>